Uh, will you turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus, please? Exodus in chapter 1. You can keep your finger on <clears throat> chapter 7. Um, I'm preaching a message this morning, serve God in the wilderness, serve God in the wilderness. <clears throat> says in Exodus chapter 1 and 8, Now there arose a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. And he said unto his people, Behold, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come on, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply. And it come to pass that when there falleth, when there falleth out any war, they join also unto our enemies and fight against us, and so get them up out of the land. Therefore they did set over the taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens, and they built for Pharaoh treasure cities, Petom and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew, and they were grieved because of the children of Israel. And the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor, and they made their uh, lives bitter with hard bondage in mortar and in brick and in all manner of service in the field. All their service wherein they made them was with rigor. And then just Exodus in chapter 7. Chapter 7 and verse 16. And thou shalt say unto him, which is Pharaoh, the Lord God of Hebrews hath sent me unto thee, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. And behold, hitherto thou wouldest not hear. Father, Lord, we praise you, O God, and we thank you. Lord, for your goodness and graciousness upon us, O God. We thank you for this precious blood, O Father. Lord, the only way, Lord God, that, Lord, a man can stand in a pulpit and preach on your behalf, O Father. Lord, is because of that confidence, O God. Lord, because we can enter in, O Father. And Lord, I pray that you would open up our ears today, O God. Lord, help this preacher to preach, O God. And Lord God, help us to hear your word, O God. Lord, that Christ might be preached, O Father. And Lord, that we might be conformed into his image, O God. Lord, we ask you, O God, move in mighty power, O God. We ask you, O Father. Lord, have your way in Jesus' mighty and wonderful name. Lord, come down upon us here today. Amen. Amen. And it says in Exodus, you have to turn there, chapter 8, 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, Go unto Pharaoh and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. We all know the Exodus story where a new king was raised up over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. This new king began to treat the children of Israel very badly because he was afraid of them. This caused God to send a series of plagues to Egypt until Pharaoh finally decided to release them. So the reason that these Hebrews were down in Egypt in the first place was because of the children of Israel and because of Joseph, who was the ruler. But there came a point after many years that the Hebrews had multiplied and they did not remember Joseph and they did not care about Joseph. So who were they serving when they went to Egypt? They were serving this new king, Pharaoh. And that's why God went with those plagues and that's why God sent Moses to this Pharaoh to let him go. Why? So that they might serve God himself. You see, God desired that the people of Israel or the people of God would be entirely devoted to serving him. Not that they would be working for the taskmasters of this world, but that they would be entirely devoted to serving him. 
Up until this point, they were serving Pharaoh. It says in Exodus 11, therefore did they set over them taskmasters, sorry, Exodus 8, 11. Therefore did they set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens. You see, this this Egypt is a type of us outside of Christ. This is a type of the sins that so easily beset the church. This is a type of people walking, uh, walking outside of God's perfect will for your life. You see, we were once serving the devil and he sent his taskmasters to afflict us. Drug addictions, religious systems, worldly distractions, lusts of other things, all the things that encapsulated our desires and our thoughts and our time and our energy is, was given to us by the devil. You know, it's often said, people might say that we're all God's children. You know, I've heard sinners say that a number of times. But Jesus said, you are your father, you are of your father, the devil. And it is the devil who sends these taskmasters. It was the devil who was moving us. It was the devil who had us go through all of these religious rites and rituals and paying monies to statues and idols and drug dealers and all of these things. Every single one of us has a testimony of having once been in Egypt and then having left. It says the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with rigor. This word rigor comes from the Latin word, which is the same rigor, and it means stiffness. So he served them with stiffness, severe strictness. That's what it's like out in that world. When you live outside of Christ, you are severely strict. Or sorry, you, are, you are having to serve your addiction. You're having to serve the sins of your lives. You're having to serve maybe family members who have control over you. You're having to serve things that are not Christ with severe strictness. We all understand this devil and he does not relent. He is a very, very hard taskmaster and he is always looking for his pound of flesh. That's why the Bible says that this, this uh, Egyptian king, he was a wicked man because he was afraid of these people. You see, they were working for him and yet he wasn't working for them. He hated them. He was afraid of them. And any time they prospered, it caused, them, caused him to want to turn his face from them more and more. What were they working for? It says... Not only, were they in, not only did he make their lives bitter with hard bondage, but they built for Pharaoh treasure cities called Pithom and Ramses. Well, what, 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 what are these treasured cities? I believe that these treasured cities are the things that we did not want to leave while we were in that world. The things that we spent so long building up and so long working upon and the things that we are so uh, slow to relinquish for the will and the purpose of God. You see, we, we have friends, they were, you know, certain degrees of Freemasonry. They worked years to get there. I had a band that I was in, that I, I absolutely loved, worked years to get there. We were just about kind of getting to a place where we wanted to go and God said, so far and no further. You see, we build up these treasured cities and people don't want to leave them. Everyone has Ramses and Petoms in their lives and they can look at them and they can say, I worked on that and I built on that. And they care more about the work of their hands than the plan and the purpose of God. You see, God had something better for these Hebrews than these treasured cities. What treasured cities means is place cities where things were stored up. If you look up that word treasure is elsewhere described 
as, uh, as, as to store or storehouses. So this is where their lives were. Does it not say in the Bible, where your treasure lies, there also will be your heart. That's where your heart is. Where were their hearts with these treasured cities? This is the thing they worked. It's Stockholm Syndrome. They had these hard taskmasters. They worked on these cities for Pharaoh, but they weren't their cities. You know, all the things that you work on that are outside of Christ, they're not your city. It's, uh, you can call them Ramses or you can call them Peter but do not call them your own or do not call them God's. Now, sometimes God repurposes things in our lives for good. You know what the devil meant for evil, God means for good. I spent all my teens just sitting at home playing my guitar to ungodly heavy metal music and now I play to the Lord. You see, what the devil was preparing for a vessel for his kingdom, God then took the name Ramses off of it and put the name God on it. But saints, we must be very careful that we do not Christianize our worldly ambitions. Very, very easy to do that. You know, we've met them all throughout the church. People who, uh, you know, they, they, they have some sort of thing and they call it a ministry. They, they like playing football and now they have a football ministry. Or they like sewing and they have a sewing ministry. Or they like campaigning against abortion and they have an anti-abortion ministry. You know, people just take their own ambitions, their own treasured cities, and then they try to get God to stamp his name and seal of approval on them. And saints, we must be very careful. God isn't going to repurpose that thing until you've left, gone through the Red Sea, and that you've come out the other side. You see, he works in our hearts. He doesn't want us to have love for something that is not within us. Look at Lot's wife. What did she do? She looked back. She looked back on that city, Sodom. She looked back, and what happened? She... She turned into a pillar of salt, turned into a monument, something there for passers-by to remember that this woman tried to hold on to her life. Just after Jesus says, uh, remembers Lot's wife, he says, whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. So if you're trying to hold on to something desperately, you know for a fact God's trying to take that and it's going to go. It's like these children, you know, you, you try to take something off them and they recoil and hold it. Now it's become a battle of wills. Now that thing is far more than the thing you're holding, but the attitude in your heart has now become destructive. And if it's allowed to go unchecked, then you're going to turn into a monster when you grow up. And that's like us with the Lord. We hold on to something so desperately and so dearly. And Lord's saying, give it to me. And we say, no. And he's saying, give it to me. And we say no. Like Brother Keith said before, oftentimes people come with their Ishmaels having no problems. Yeah, I'll drive a knife through Ishmael. No problem whatsoever. But will you come and will you lay that axe to Isaac? You see, it's very, very different. Something you've worked on, something you've labored on, something you've spent years doing. What did they do with all of their witchcraft books? They burned them. They destroyed them. They got rid of them. They didn't say, oh, this is worth a bit of money. That's what Judas did. He said this could have been sold for 300 pieces of silver or more. More. He looked at this woman, Mary of Bethany, and he scorned at her. Why? Because all he was thinking was the natural. All he was thinking is, what's going to happen to Ramses and Petam when we leave? What's going to happen to the works of our hands over years and years and years? Saying to God, sometimes God's calling you to leave a thing, and you better go by nightfall, and you better have your bags packed by the times he asks you, because you don't want to be left behind. You don't want to stay there. And it's fascinating when you read this portion of scripture in Exodus 8 about all of the, all of the um, roughness that this man treated the uh, children of Israel with, and yet they still murmur and look back. 
<clears throat> if you'll turn with me to Numbers chapter 11, please. It says, and the mixed multitude, that, sorry, Numbers chapter 11, verse 4. And the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting. And the children of Israel also wept again and said, who shall give us flesh to eat? <clears throat> we remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlics, but now our soul is dried away. There is nothing at all besides this manna before our eyes. Saints of God, they didn't talk about the things that Pharaoh did to him. They didn't talk about serving with rigor. They didn't talk about how Pharaoh tried to take their firstborn sons, tried to absolutely destroy this people, ethnic cleanse them. All they're thinking about is fish, cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, garlic. And I know none of you would be like that. I know absolutely nobody in this room. You're all too sanctified. Everybody perfectly, logically looks at their old life outside of Christ. And they never, like Lot's wife, look back. You know, they absolutely just put that to the cross and only look forward. Saints of God, I'm not like that all the time. Can I tell you that much? Sometimes in this heart, you can look back on the fish, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions the garlic and say my soul is dried away but thank God it's not the same amount that it was when I was first born again saying to God we're growing and conforming into Christ's image so that these things do not go on our lips this was an attitude problem this was not because they were hungry you know you could look at this and logically and say oh well you know it's a perfectly natural thought for somebody who's hungry no, no, no. God sent them manna. These people had an attitude issue. We must be so careful about the thoughts of our hearts, the things that come on our lips. The Bible says it's not what goes into a man that defiles him, but what comes out of his mouth. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Are you careful over your words? Are there thoughts that go into your mind that you say, I can't put on my lips, saints, I've done it. I thought if I put that on my lips, that is a lack of faith or, 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 or an abundance of unbelief. Saints of God, we must be careful. We must be careful to logically look and weigh up to see where are these things coming from. You see these fish, these fish are very, all of these different things that they're missing are very interesting when you look at them. Fish means is the Hebrew word daga. And remember, what was the first thing that God killed? The, the fish, I think it was the first thing. It was certainly one of the 10 plagues. He made the rivers turn to blood and he killed all of the fish. So what in effect are they saying? Oh, we missed those fish. But hang on, God killed those fish. Do you know, I had a friend one time, a Christian, and he was here in Limerick with us. And, uh, you know, he was kind of commuting back and forth to Dublin. And the reason he was here in Limerick with us is because he so desperately wanted to be a part of this church. But circumstances were such that he could only get a job in, in Dublin. And he so desperately wanted to be a part of this church that he was here. That was at the start. Give it two, three months later. And he told me about how he was sad that, uh, you know, he couldn't get an apartment in Dublin. And I was shocked. I didn't know what to say. I was absolutely gobsmacked. Had to ask him, do you even want to be here? Saying to God, that was not an accommodation issue. That was a heart issue because his heart had so 
uh, diverted and left the place of prayer and the place of the Lord and all he wanted was now just a mammon. He, wa- he was looking at the fish, he was looking at the things. We must be careful the things that we bewail and the things that we bemoan. If God has removed something from your life with your consent, remember these people wanted to leave to serve God and so God's, uh, God's vehicle for doing that was all of these plagues. He killed the fish in Egypt before they ever began to long for them again they are effectively shaking their fist at God and saying God you're unfair God those things all we so miss them if you look at the fish of Egypt and God in the Bible it is not a good relationship okay it says in Isaiah 19 and the Egyptians so I believe that this is uh, in part has been fulfilled and also is a prophecy for the future it says God saying and the Egyptians will I give over into the hand of a cruel Lord and of a fierce king shall rule over them say saith the Lord the Lord of hosts and the waters shall fail from the sea and the rivers shall be wasted and dried up and then uh, the, the fishes also shall mourn and all day sorry yeah the fishers also shall mourn and all they that cast angle into the brook shall lament, and they that spread nets upon the waters shall languish. Moreover, they that work in fine flax and they that weave networks shall be confounded, and they shall be broken in their purposes, all that make sluices and ponds for fish. So God is, in this prophecy, sending a judgment onto Egypt, and he's saying anybody that makes a sluice, which is kind of like a dam or a pond for fish, that he's going to, they are going to be broken in their purposes. This tells me something about the fish of Egypt. I believe it speaks of the opulence of the area. We all know, we learned it in school, in primary school, the longest river in the world, where is it? It's the River Nile in Egypt, and it serves all of Egypt, serves all of Sudan. I think it might even go into Ethiopia. It's a huge river, I'm sure, teeming with fish. And so they look back on the fish of Egypt. That is the opulence of Egypt. And so God comes against that at times saints I have seen in lives and even in my own life where God has taken something from us and what do we start making ponds and sluices to try cultivate the very thing that God himself has taken from us and that's a losing battle you know if God has taken something from you you best leave it and not go back after it remember lots wife it is all too easy for us to look back and I mean things where we have where we have freely given of something I do not believe that anybody can enter into the kingdom without first being entirely unencumbered with the things of this world I did not get born again until I was willing to say Lord no matter what Lord, when you take everything from me, Lord, it's like, like it says the camel, he cannot get through the eye of a needle. Uh, or sorry, a rich, a rich man going to heaven um, is easier than a camel going through the eye of the needle. That eye of the needle was a little entrance. It was a public doorway that uh, was open that only a man or a camel on its knees could fit through, that it was done in the evening for protection of the city. What did it mean? That camel had to be unencumbered. They had to get rid of all of that uh, bounty, all of the things he collect, and that camel had to go through on his knees. God's saying a rich person is going to get into the kingdom. It's going to be on his knees. It's going to be unencumbered. And I'm not saying that everybody like that rich young ruler has to sell all that they have and follow God. But if you're not born again and there's something in your heart saying to God, you can, or people, you can leave it before the Lord himself. 
You can vanquish all of those things because all it's going to be is a city in Egypt. All it's going to be is a monument to your destruction. It's going to testify against you when you take account someday of all of these things. But you can have that forgiveness. You can have that freedom. You know, I so often remember feeling like I had a, just a small, tiny piece of my heart kept back for myself. And that's why I wouldn't get saved. I wanted God to change me and then I would be a Christian. Whereas God was waiting to see how serious I really was. Bible says that if you search me with all your heart, there you will find me. And I wasn't willing to search him with all my heart. You have to give all of your heart, everything. And you might say, oh, well, what about this and what about that? Saints of God, it's the same for even Christians, not just unsaved and saved. These people, these Hebrews, they were the people of God and yet they lived in bondage. Don't tell me that a person of God, a, a person walking with the Lord could not be in bondage to some sin that so easily besets them. Saints, but we're being conformed into Christ's image. We are being sanctified. We are being washed. That's the purpose of the blood. That's the purpose of this glorious blood is that if you've built a Ramses, well, you can repent of that and you can be washed in your precious blood we must not build sluices we must not build ponds if God has taken the fish out of our lives then maybe you don't need fish if God has taken money out of your life maybe you don't need money if God has taken a house out of your life maybe it's not one that you needed do we trust in God or do we not trust in God no, I'm not saying if any of these have come about because of sin in your life, well then I'm not suggesting that that is God's perfect will being outworked, though it could be used for his good at some stage. But saying to God, we have all the things that we need. These Hebrews were murmuring in the wilderness and yet they had all the things that they need. It was not a hunger issue, it was an attitude problem. Their attitude, where were their hearts? Back in Egypt, back in Ramses, back in Pitom. That's where they were thinking about this word leeks. So, so they, they first longed after the fish, then they long after leeks. This word leek is only translated once as leek, and it's in this portion of scripture that we just read. Elsewhere, it's translated as grass. Think about this. You've got the opulence of Egypt. They want this, this uh, luxurious meat that they can eat that they were not getting inside in the, in, the, in the wilderness. And now they want their leeks. What's that? Grass. Something that's very, very fleeting. It says in Isaiah 40, the grass wither, the flower fadeth, but the word of God shall stand forever. That word grass, same word as the word leek. You see, they were setting their eyes on something that was not. They were setting their eyes on something that was fleeting. Here today, gone tomorrow. Did God not tell them that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God? And yet they're saying, give us the grass. Give us the grass of the field. Give us something that's so temporary, it's going to be here today and gone tomorrow. Remember before I got saved, I was so shocked at my own heart about how I so longed to hold on to the thing in my life that I would have told you a year beforehand was something I would have easily gotten rid of. You know, that band, I absolutely loved it. And, and uh, it was very difficult to leave them. They were like brothers to me. They were my friends. You know, it, it was like a rock band. There was four of us. They were not just friends, but brothers. You know, this is, this is what we had set our eyes upon. And I thought that would be the hardest thing to give up in my life. But you know what the hardest thing was? It was the parties with the people who weren't even my friends, who wouldn't even give me the time of day. They wouldn't spend Christmas on you. They were very, um, they were very tight with their money and, and, and even their time and friendship. You'd end 
end up out in their houses and, you know, a handful of people would talk to you while you were the, the hot new thing, but after that, it, you know, they'd cast you aside and they'd think nothing of you. Do I hear from any of them nowadays? Do I contact any of them nowadays? No, yet I remember being in these houses, looking around, and the Lord so distinctly telling me, you're going to give up eternity for this. These people aren't even your friends. This living room doesn't even have carpets. You don't even have a, a bottle of wine to your name or a can of beer. And yet, this is the thing you so hold on to. Saints, that's the grass. And that's something frivolous in my own life. But I've seen men, I've seen men walking with the Lord and they leave and they go out and they, they, they leave the Lord. Why? Because they want to play in pubs and, and, and little country bars to, to men and women waltzing in their 60s. Saints of God, that I believe is frivolous and embarrassing almost. But I spoke to Brother Paul about this before and I said, even if it was Wembley Stadium, it wouldn't be worth it. Even if it was Wembley Stadium, you if you left the Lord so that you got to play gigs in Wembley Stadium, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, if you got to have the same stages as you 2 and Ben Sheeran and all these fellas, it would still be nothing. It would still be fleeting. It would still be here today, gone tomorrow. Why? Because at some stage in your life, you're going to be too old to sing and you're going to be lying on your deathbed and be like that last verse in Ecclesiastes where it says that the eyes grow dim and the men that carry the trays are shaking all of those limbs there's going to come a day where you're going to meet your maker. And even us here in the church, we are going to give an account for everything that we've done. Everything that we've done, we're going to give an account to God. Oh, saints of God, let us walk in a manner that will cause us to be proud on that day and that we might cast our crowns at his feet and not, not a day that, that worries us. Saints, if that day worries us, then we need, to, we need to repent. We need to get right with God. We need to call out upon him. We so desire those leaks. That's the nature of man, is that there, it's an immediate, instant gratification. Isn't that what all these uh, the parents are complaining about? Children nowadays, everything is instant gratification. Don't know how to save money. Don't know how to save for the future. Think and plan ahead. The Bible says that a wise man sees trouble coming and he prepares for it. Saints of God, we know Jesus is coming. That's why we're told we must prepare for it. Don't be worried about fish. Don't be worried about leeks. And then the other four things that they pine after are cucumbers, melons, onions, and garlics. Do you know that these words are nowhere else in the Bible? They're only here. Only in this portion of scripture do you find these four things. What does that tell me? They're looking for a characteristic of Egypt that they miss. You're not going to find, the, oh, they're the Egyptian cucumbers. They're the Egyptian melons. Oh, Egypt did it best. Oh, much better than this manna. They're looking back on something of Egypt that only Egypt can provide. It's sinful. It's wrong. Do you know, oftentimes we play this kind of dance. We see how close we can get to the world without actually falling into the world. You know, it's like, uh, you know, I've seen children playing with concrete. You know, they come right up to the edge and then you're worried, you know, just one sneeze and that's it. They fall in and their footprints are all over the concrete. And saints of God, it's like that. You see someone walking with the Lord for a while and then out of nowhere, they just drop off the edge of the earth. Say, where are they gone? They were flirting with that world. They were just seeing how close they could get to it without falling in. Saints, if I was on the Cliffs of Moher, Hannah's been to the Cliffs of Moher with me. Some of you have been to the Cliffs of Moher. I don't go near that edge taking selfies, all right? I'm not one of those people. I'm not going seeing how close I can get to the edge so I can take a picture off the Cliffs of Moher. That's certain death. I'm staying nice 
and far back. I'm making sure that my children are nice and far back. I'm making sure that my wife is nice and far back. Why? Because I want to be far enough away from that edge that if the wind catches me, I'm not going over, Brother Jer. I do not want to go in there. Saints of God, I'm using something practical to communicate something spiritual. Be far enough away from Egypt that you don't end up falling in there, that you don't end up accidentally making yourself a salad of cucumbers, melons, onions, and garlics, and reveling in it. Saints, these were only found in Egypt. And there are certain things that we often set our heart's desires on, and they're only found back in that world. And we try as best as we can to marry them with the Lord. We try as best as we can to take things uh, that are birthed from sinful attitudes and try bring them into the church. Saints, we must be very careful about what we bring in. We must be very careful about what we approach, what we allow into our lives, how we live our lives. Acknowledge him in all your ways and he will direct your path. You see, it's fascinating that they never ever remember the bad things. They never, ever remember the bad things. They do not remember how the king, with all this nice food, tried to kill their sons. Not once. No one ever once says, oh, do you remember how, uh, how he tried to kill little Jimmy? And, how he, and, you know, that there are sons alive just because those Hebrew women, those Hebrew midwives, would not actually do it. And yet they don't think about that. And on a side note, you often hear the people in the world say that, oh, God is such a maniacal ruler because he killed the firstborn children in Egypt. No, hang on. He's given Pharaoh a taste of his own medicine. Pharaoh, long before God ever took away their firstborn children, uh, their firstborn sons, was attempting to do the same to the Hebrews. He got met with his own medicine. The Bible says, be careful how you judge. Every single person in this room should be careful how you judge because the measure that you judge with is how you're going to be judged with. In the Bible, how it describes that, it talks, uh, it, it gives the picture of like, um, you know, selling spices or, or whatever. If you ever went to a, a market where they didn't have electric scales, they would use um, weights. So you might have a leg weight that's one kilo, 500 grams and such and such. So if someone wanted to buy uh, a kilo of cumin, they would put the kilo weight on the balancing weight and they would put the cumin on the other and once they balance, then you know that is one kilo. Jesus is using something practical to communicate something spiritually. He says the, the weights that you measure with are going to be measured back onto you. So if you're a sneaky, uh, if you're a sneaky uh, cruel salesman uh, and extortioner and your kilogram weight is only 900 grams, well then you're going to get shortchanged yourself someday. You see, this is how God works. The, the, the stick that you use to judge someone is going to be turned back on you. You better make sure that you are free in that day, in that any time you judge someone, make sure you're more careful. Make sure you're judging the way you want to be judged. What did Jesus say? Treat thy neighbor as thyself. Love thy, sorry, love thy neighbor as thyself. They do not remember Pharaoh trying to kill their sons. They do not remember the taskmasters who afflicted them with burdens or the rigorous servitude. They do not remember how the Egyptians made their life bitter with hard bondage. Think about a bitter life. You ever met someone who lives in bitterness? Bible says bitterness is rottenness of the bones. Bitter means they wake up in the morning, they say, not today, not again, not more bricks, not more mortar, not more weapons. They, they, their lives were bitter with hard bondage. What does it mean that they served with rigor, with stiffness? Have you ever worked with a boss who was just on top of you every two seconds, every two seconds? Nothing you could do was ever good enough or if you did something, you did it wrong, they did it for you again or they might make you stay late or whatever it might be. This is, this, 
the, the, those bosses wouldn't get a look in on how Pharaoh treated them with rigor. Didn't give them an inch. I bet they never got a day off. I'd say they probably died. I'm sure some died in service to him, building up these treasured cities, but he, he served them with rigor, and yet they don't remember that. They remember things that they should never be thinking about in the first place. If you're sitting down at home and you're doing this thing where you're thinking about, oh, what life was like before, and oh, imagine how much money I'd have if I didn't have to pay a tithe, and oh, how much money I'd have if I didn't give to that missionary, and you know, you're all too sanctified to get those thoughts, and so nobody's giving me an amen there. But you know, that's, an, that's a sinful thing to do, to go with your mind and just start thinking and thinking and thinking and thinking. Oh, what about those onions? What about those eggs? Oh, life was kind of nice like that. Oh, that was a nice way to live. Oh, that was a nice person that I used to hang out with. Wonder what they're doing with nowadays. Saints of God, I'm not saying all reminiscing is bad, but there is some of it that is bad. You know, sometimes I've met with old friends and we might have reminisced and I never preached the gospel. I walk away from that with my head between my hands, my heart and my shoes. Why? Because that was wrong because you're glorifying something there that should never be glorified. These cucumbers, these melons, these were, these were laced with bitter bondage, and yet they're thinking about them. How dare they? How dare they look back on Egypt and think about all the good things that came from it? The Bible says that in my flesh is no good thing. So how could you ever look back on your whole life outside of Christ and think there's anything worthy of praise or commendation in it? Because there is not. There is not. Why? Because it's all painted black. It's all laced with bitterness. It's all about hard bondage. And we never, ever weigh up the two things side by side. We do not judge properly and appropriately. We're so slow to remember the awfulness of Egypt. So quick to forget the marvelous things that he does. Bible says that God does marvelous things. Um, turn with me in Psalm uh, 78, please. Psalm 78, reading from verse 12. Listen carefully. Marvelous things did he in the sight of their fathers, in the land of Egypt, in the field of Zoan. He divided the sea and caused them to pass through. He made the waters to stand as a heap. In the daytime also he led them with a cloud, and all the night with a light of fire. He clave the rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink as out of great depths. He brought streams also out of the rock and caused waters to run down like rivers. And they sinned yet more against him by provoking the Most High in the wilderness. And they tempted God in their hearts by asking meat for their lusts. They tempted God in their heart by asking meat for their lusts. Yea, they spake against God. They said, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? These are not honest desires that they have. When they look back and say, oh, we missed this, we missed this. We're only hungry. That's why we're, we're laying these charges at your feet, God. No, they missed something of Egypt. They missed something of that bondage. They missed something of being there. Marvelous things that he done. Remember, they're making these claims. They're complaining about all these things after they have walked through the Red Sea. They've literally walked on dry land through a sea that should never, ever have been walked upon. The armies of Pharaoh have been crushed behind them, and yet all they're thinking about is, oh, I'd love a melon. 
Oh, I'd love a garlic. I'd love an onion. This is the frivolity of the human mind. This is how stupid we are, saints of God, sometimes when we think about these things. I know often in my life, in my Christian life, particularly in the early years, you know, you'd look back and you'd, maybe you'd see your, your mates. I remember uh, it was very difficult when all my friends graduated because I had not gone back to college, as many of you will know, because I wanted to serve God. Now, I didn't serve God in full-time ministry. I served him in a call center because that call center would allow me to worship the Lord, I was able to get shift swaps and I was able to come to the meetings barring a, a handful and yet I remember on Facebook it was, it was about two years after I got saved and I could just see pictures of everybody graduating and I did not think that it would affect me as much, I don't, I'm not the type of person that uh, you know uh, that, that would kind of look on someone else at long and I'm happy with my life like I didn't think it would affect me but saints of God it really did I remember looking and thinking man do you know you're in this call center. They've all graduated. If you weren't walking with the Lord, you could have gone back to college and your life could have been so much different and so much better. And saying to God, that was hard. That was very, very difficult for me. But I'm not looking at the taskmaster. You know, I had long dropped out of college ever before, uh, ever before uh, I had gotten saved. And I was, I was too much of a drug addict. Brother Jerry knows all about this. To ever have been able to do something important like that, God only knows where I would have been had I not got saved. But that's not the thought I'm having when I'm looking at everybody in their graduation gowns in UL, firing their hats into the sky or whatever. Those are not the thoughts. The devil was using that to leverage against me to say, look back at Egypt. Oh, look at those garlics. You know, those, the, the cucumbers, melons, onion, garlic, those are only things that you could have got. It's like saying, this is a missed opportunity. It's like the devil coming in and saying, those cucumbers, those melons, those onions, those garlics, they can only be gotten in Egypt. You don't live there anymore, and that's never going to happen again. And, and this flesh, what does it feel? A, a strange sense of loss. Saints of God, those senses should, should certainly convict us. They should make us feel, they convict us and push us towards godliness. We should uh, remember God's marvelous things. That's what the psalmist says. You know, I, in those times, I'm not thinking about how uh, I only have a full-time job because God saved me. Because I'm not smoking weed every single day of my life. And I'm not going out and spending all my money on drugs on the weekends. I only am able to hold down a full-time job and work with people because I am a Christian. You know, the only reason these people could think about onions and leeks and all those things is because God delivered them. And yet they turn around and they throw it in God's face and they abuse him. Saints of God, we must not have those things. If we catch ourselves playing these mind games or tempting God in our hearts we must put that to the cross that's something that needs repenting of that's not something that is allowable or something that should be allowed to move on we must think about how hard it was the taskmaster remember sister Mary telling me one time walking past the Catholic church wanted to go in wanted to say a prayer and light a candle she didn't have any money couldn't go in God wasn't able to listen to her. She didn't have any money to pay that taskmaster. Saints, don't tell me that he's not a hard taskmaster out there. Don't tell me that that devil does not have people in hard bondage. The devil tries to romanticize things for you. He tries to show you that, oh, you weren't really that bad. Or if it's not the devil, it's certainly your, your mothers. All your mothers tell you that you weren't that bad, depending on who your mother is. Before you were born again, saying to God, but you were. In you was no good thing whatsoever. You know, when the the devil came to Adam and Eve. He didn't try to communicate to them and tell them what was they were going to lose. He says, what they're going to gain. Oh, you're going to be like God. You're going to have this fresh, new perspective on life. 
Maybe a fresh new perspective on life is not what you need right now. Maybe you need to narrow your focus and perspective on life. We live in an age of information where we can go, think about this, we can go online, we can communicate with people all over the world, free of charge, at an instant. I can see pictures from countries I wouldn't have even known existed had I lived 60 years ago. We, li we have this great, broad view because the devil's trying to make this world broad and then make this church broad. You know, oftentimes people say about, uh, you know, you need to think about more than the Bible. I want your answer. I spent 21 years of my life giving my answer and they were always wrong. Everything I ever put my hand to turned to dust. Every Ramses or Pete on my built, I thought maybe they were nice, but they were nothing in comparison to what God can build and what God can do. And we must always keep that at the forefront of our mind. We must always consider that in Egypt was no good thing. We must consider that, yes, there might be things like the foods that these people were uh, so longed after, but it, it, it doesn't even touch the sides when you look at the, the viciousness of what that devil's like. Saints of God, you all have testimony. You all know about how difficult it was. The reason you're sitting here is because you looked at Pharaoh and you said, I don't want to serve him any longer. I want to serve God in the wilderness. And no matter what that means, and this is the, 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 the point I'm getting to in my message. The Bible says that Moses went to Pharaoh and he says, God, he said, the Lord God of Hebrews had sent me unto thee saying, let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. You know, the Hebrews, they were very, very upset. They were getting upset with the lot that they were given. You know, they said, we didn't sign up for this. Oh, did you bring us out into the wilderness to die? We don't even, we're going to die in unmarked graves because of you, Moses. You brought us out here to starve and we have no meat for our children. And yet, this is what they had signed up for. Moses always said from the beginning, you're going to serve him in the wilderness. And I remember just, as, just before I got saved, I, I wanted to control that wilderness. The Bible said, or the, 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 the wilderness is always a place of testing. It is a place of uncultivated land. If you look at the, the meaning of wilderness, it's uncultivated land, something that has very little structure. If you consider wilderness, you don't think of nice, well-worn paths. You don't think of somewhere where someone has been a lot or somewhere where someone visits regularly. There isn't roads. There isn't uh, ways of, uh, of uh, finding out what's in there. It's a wilderness. It's all new. It's all unknown. And yet that's where God ordained that his people would serve him, was in the wilderness. And so it's okay if you do get thoughts and, uh, and sometimes not sure why it is God has you serving in this level of confusion. But that's how God intended it. And I remember weighing up things and over months and months and months and months before I ever got saved, I was going to meetings. I used to watch sermons online. I was very sincere. I told many of you before, I used to preach to people while I was at house parties, telling them that Jesus could change them, even though I was not right with the Lord myself. And yet, what I was so afraid of was that wilderness. Because in, at least in Egypt, it was known. It was the devil you know. You hear that? The devil you know is better than the devil you, uh, devil you don't know. It's a phrase, but at least I knew how things were in Egypt. I knew that, okay, it's a hard taskmaster, but it's, a, it's not as scary as giving your life over to someone else because that's what you do. That's what Christianity is. It's not 
coming to church on a Sunday or on a Wednesday. It's not, a, it's not you know, doing whatever uh, you, it is you want and then adding a little Jesus into your life. That's how sinners think about this stuff. That's how other religious systems treat their God. They live their own lives and then they just add a little uh, of their God onto it like a rugby jersey. You know, this is the team that they play for, but that's not what Jesus called us to. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. It says, if you, whosoever shall save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. Losing your life is a very scary thing. Nobody wants to die. This flesh certainly does not want to die. Flesh does not want to get up on that cross and be nailed to it, and you do not get born again. You do not come in until you come to that point. I certainly did not. And many people that I've spoke to testified, they didn't get to that point, or they didn't get saved until they got to that point because up until a stage, they were just holding back some for themselves, just holding back a little bit of their hearts. It'd be like if a married man said to his wife, I'm going to be your husband for six days of the week, but Sunday I'm going to just do whatever I want. And that could involve other ladies, or that could involve going to the pub with the lads, or it could involve going on hiking, you know, any, any smart lady would say, do you know what, you can keep the six days. I don't want six, seven, I, I either want you or I don't want you whatsoever. And yet we think we can have Christ and our own lusts and our own desires. That's not, the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible doesn't save that. And you know what's sad is that oftentimes these things are looked upon by tears and so despairing. But saints of God, that's how you gain your life. That's how you get life more abundant. I stand here clothed and in my right mind because I said, okay, Lord, this little life I have is, is nothingness. I, have, I remember coming to a realization where I had so little control over my life. I was so desperate to live my own life and have my own fun and God's word said X, but I was going to go do Y and I was going to show God that I could live my own life and, and God had actually shown me that he was already working in me and I couldn't enjoy my own life and everything I tried to do outside of him would turn to dust and then I realized I have so, so little control over my life. I had no control over my drug addiction. I had no control over the cancer that was in my dad's body. I had no control over my own fun or happiness uh, because anytime I tried to do it, it wasn't what it lived up to be. I could never enjoy the things of the world like I had once done. Why? Because I had seen God. I had tasted of this newness of life. And so I came to the point where it was, it was effectively an easy answer because what I had if it was life, I did not want it. I did not desire what I had because it, 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 it gave me no enjoyment any longer. And you know what? It shows the fickleness of man because even though I had no fulfillment and enjoyment in my life at that stage, I was still so slow to give it to God. And I could, I could have reasoned, I had reasoned with people why they should give their lives to Christ and yet I wasn't giving my life to Christ. That, that, and it just shows you that we don't think logically. We think about ourselves. We are self-serving. We think about all the things we're going to lose. We don't think about all the things we're going to gain. If you're born again, you're going to heaven for all of an eternity. You're going to rule over angels. The things that God has taken away from you, they weren't good for you. They weren't good for you. Those, the, why did God not provide for these Hebrews fish or, or leeks or cucumbers in the desert? Because it wasn't good for them. Because it was not something that was going to be beneficial to their spiritual good. You see, we serve God in a wilderness. You know, Moses, where did he go uh, for, um, for 40 years? Into the wilderness. Jesus, 
instantly after he began his ministry. Where was he driven to? Into the wilderness for 40 days. David, where did he go when he's running from Saul? If you read of that in Samuel, he is just going wilderness after wilderness after wilderness. Why? The wilderness was good for him. He may not feel it. It may not feel like that, but the wilderness is good for you. That state of confusion is good for you. Keith said something when he was preaching in London uh, recently, and he said, you know, one of Job's biggest trials is he never told him why. Just told him that he did. But he never told him why all of those things. And that's an aspect of wilderness is that, you know, all of us, if we can make sense of something, it's easier to handle. What if we can never make sense of something? Are you going to curse God and die? Are you going to cry that Egypt was actually better than this unknown confusion? Are you going to cry about that? I hope not, saints of God. I absolutely hope not. Because serving God in the wilderness is far better than serving Pharaoh in Egypt. We, we have to remember how bad it was there. It says in the Psalms that he uh, took us out of a horrible pit, out of that miry clay. Miry clay, if you ever held it, it's sticky, it's horrible, it gets on everything. And if you're in a pit and the sides are miry, you're not climbing out. No way, because every time you try to get, it's just going to slip. You're just going to fall back. You're just going to get stuck. And that's what life is like outside of Christ, isn't it? That's what it's like when I remember so many times trying to give up smoking and I just couldn't. You know, I remember the damage I was doing to my family with my drug addictions. And I remember what that was like. And yet there was nothing I could do about it. I remember, you know, telling family members I'd meet them and, you know, not just not showing up because I was a drug addict. Didn't think I was a drug addict. I didn't think I was that bad. And so often we don't think that, you know, we think... Uh, our lives outside of Christ that we're okay or before we get saved we think ah yeah we're not too bad we're nice enough people or uh, the amount of people I've met on the streets that have that you ask them are you a good person yeah I'm good enough yeah I'm good enough and they don't realize why because they're not holding their lives up to that that lamp they're not holding their lives up to the word of God they're not realizing and understanding really they're bad people serving a bad bad taskmaster and saying to God I'm I'm closing with this we have to serve somebody we absolutely have to serve somebody. You don't have a choice in this. You're either going to serve the devil or you're going to serve God. And I'm not just talking about uh, being out. I'm not saying that once you leave, uh, once you leave Egypt and pass through the river, it's all plain sailing. That scripture I read out to you from Numbers, that's after they have left. That's after they've passed through the Red Sea. They, they, and their, their hearts are still in Egypt. They're still serving Pharaoh with what? Their hearts. You better make sure that you're not serving Pharaoh with your heart. You better make sure that you're careful in how you allow your mind to run, the things that you do, the decisions that you make, where you go, who you spend your time with, who you desire to spend your time with. You know, it's different if, uh, you know, if, if a husband and his wife and they're, all they're thinking about is somebody else. Oh, that's awful. That's terrible. That would, be, that would be absolutely brutal. And yet we do that with the Lord. We often think about things that aren't him and, and we have no problems with that whatsoever. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't seem to bother us, bother us sometimes. We just like to go off and have, it's like a child scurrying away with their piece of chocolate. You know, we think, oh, nobody knows. And yet it says in uh, Psalms that, that they tempted God in their heart by asking for meat with their lusts, not just with their mouths, here in their hearts. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so Jesus said, if you're a murderer, if you have hatred in your heart for someone, then you're a murderer. Why? Because you've done it in your heart. What he's saying there is, if you could do it and get away with it, you would. 
That's what he's saying. Same with them adulterers. You know, they come to Jesus tempting him and say, oh, good master, what about divorce? And they start trying to make up all of these reasons as to why divorce could possibly be okay. And he calls them adulterers. It took me a long time to fully understand that. And uh, now I understand it. It's because they didn't want to be married to their wives any longer. It's actually, they were trying to make up reasons why they could divorce their wives when really they just wanted to fornicate with somebody else. That was it. That's what Jesus gets to the heart of the matter. The religious zealots try to, uh, try to doctor this up and dress it up in whatever way they possibly can. But Jesus is very good at getting to the heart of something. And he says, you're an adulterer at heart because you don't even desire to, see, uh, to, to, to remain with that wife for the rest of your life. That's what they were like, because where was it? It started in the heart. This is where it began. It started in their hearts. And so Jesus calls them adulterers. Why? Because if they could have gotten away with it, they would have. If, if, if someone could have waved a magic wand and said, you know, you can do this act and nobody will know. And they would have done it. Why? Because it's done here first. Everything first begins in the heart and then it begins in our actions. Nothing you've ever done has ever not come forth out of our heart first. We have to serve somebody. We're either serving the devil or the Lord. We're either sowing to the flesh or sowing to the spirit. You might say that you're doing nothing. Oh, I'm not longing after Egypt. But if you're not running after the Lord, then you're serving the devil. You're under hard bondage. You're serving with rigor. You're not just going to serve. You're going to serve with rigor. The devil doesn't want somebody to serve half-heartedly. He wants, he's like God. He wants full worship. He wants all of you. And he's not going to end until he has you full and in completeness working for him. And that's as a saved child of God. Because people can slip, people can fall. These Hebrews, look at their, you read the Old Testament from start to finish and you just look at them going off and them falling and God restoring them and them falling and God restoring them. Saints of God, that's the people of God. I heard someone say before that, um, I heard someone say before of the wise and foolish virgins, a well-known preacher in this country, a very Good pastor, although I wouldn't necessarily call him good, preached in very well-known pulpits. And he's standing in a very well-known pulpit and he's saying, the wise and the foolish virgins. Oh, people say that's Christians and that's Christians who are asleep and Christians are awake. No, 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 no. That's the Jews and the Christians. So he basically said, you know, he, he actually said in the message that, oh, they were asleep. Nothing wrong with being asleep. Sleep is an absolutely natural state of being. Nothing wrong with that. Saints, I know a man that does not want to live properly for the Lord. If that's what the pastor is preaching, what is he doing at home? What is his life like? What are the thoughts of his heart like? What are that congregation? He's serving a different God to me. He serves a different man to a different man to whom I'm serving. We're serving the living God. And that man was serving Pharaoh. There are people in the church, tares, that serve Pharaoh, that are serving Egypt. You know, I said that if you do nothing, that's the same as serving uh, Pharaoh. If you ask any gardener, how do you grow weeds? It doesn't take a lot of skill, does it? You just leave it. You just leave your, if you leave your garden, ask Brother Jar, you leave your garden and you just leave it to do whatever it wants, weeds are going to pop up absolutely everywhere, everywhere. But if you want to make a garden nice, if you want to make it look good, it must be cultivated. It must be worked upon. It must be attended to. And our hearts are like that. The Bible says that the, 
the, the word of God's like seed that was cast out and some fell on, on thorny ground. What are thorns? They're like weeds, an effect of the fall. You don't have to do anything for those weeds to grow up. Just leave them. Those thorns are going to grow up. The cares of life, the deceitfulness, the riches, the lusts of other things. What does it say? It says it chokes the word of God and renders that child of God fruitless and ineffective. What do you have to do to allow those thorns to choke? Nothing. Nothing. You have to do absolutely nothing. And then that's going to happen. That's the ultimate end. Saints of God, we must be careful that we do not serve Pharaoh in Egypt, but that we are happy to serve God in the wilderness. For he that, and let's close on this, for he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the spirit um, shall of the spirit reap life ever lasting stand with me father lord we glorify you O god we thank you O father lord god that you're a good god you're a gracious god lord and that you've saved us O father lord out of darkness and translate us into the your the the kingdom of your dear son O father lord god we thank you O god for this life everlasting this joy unspeakable O god we thank you for your precious blood, O oh God, Lord, that where we can complain and murmur and look back on Egypt, we can wash it in your precious blood, O oh God. O oh Lord, we can pour your blood, O oh Father, upon those sins, O oh Father, and Lord, that they can be cleared and made white as snow. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for blood redemption, O oh God. I thank you for salvation, O oh God. I thank you, Lord, for changing us, O oh God. I thank you, O oh Father, Lord, that we can have victory, O oh God. Lord, over these idle thoughts, O oh God. Lord, that desire, Lord God. Lord, the fish and the leeks, O oh God. Lord, the melons and the cucumbers, O oh God. Lord, that you've given us victory and ability to take every thought captive, O oh Father. Lord, we thank you, O oh God. Lord, that we can pull down strongholds, O oh God. Lord, by your word and true prayer, O oh God. Lord, help us, O oh Father. Lord God, Lord, thou work that in our lives, O oh God, and live unto you in Jesus' mighty and wonderful name. Amen.